Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I've been wrong. I've been wrong, and so has everybody else been wrong. I've been giving this a ton of thought today. Stick with me on this. It's important. It's not esoteric. It's not just intellectualizing and dancing on the head of a pin. When the president said he had power, total power, to open the economy, immediately people said that violates federalism, that the governor has plenary police powers. And the president can't force a governor to open a state economy. And uh, there were all kinds of uh, editorials out there from the left, from the right. And they got it all wrong. And I got it all wrong. Well, half wrong. Until now. This has absolutely nothing to do with federalism. Listen carefully. Because this will be regurgitated elsewhere. This has absolutely nothing to do with federalism. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Tenth Amendment. Cuomo and the other governors who don't even believe in federalism, they asserted it. And the media and others took the bait. When the president asserted that he has authority, total authority to open the economy, should the governors not not open their economies, he was on to something. This was never about federalism. This is always about another provision in the Constitution. The Interstate Commerce Clause. I'm not playing games here. I'm not trying to drive an ideological result. I'm a constitutionalist. The president has the power to enforce, as the head of the executive branch, the Interstate Commerce Clause in the federal constitution. No state governor has the power to violate the Federal Constitution's Interstate Commerce Clause. None. The state's police powers do not extend to nullifying the Federal Constitution. There's even a Supremacy Clause in the Constitution that makes that abundantly clear. Interstate commerce is not about the Tenth Amendment, 
It's not about federalism. It's a power explicitly granted and belonging to the federal government. It's in the Constitution, and they put it in the Constitution to promote interstate commerce. Because under the Articles of Confederation, the states were very parochial. They would tax certain goods from other states higher than states produce, uh, than the goods produced in their own states. They might stop goods from coming into their state in order to create state monopolies and so forth. It was killing the economy of the new republic. And so they specifically put this clause in the Constitution to promote commerce, not to regulate it, to promote it between and among the states. It is a federal constitutional authority. When a governor, by unilateral action, even put the virus aside for a moment, when a governor, by unilateral action, interferes with interstate commerce, the argument that the president has no authority to enforce the federal constitution against a governor who is violating the federal constitution is absurd. For example, if a governor violates the Fifth Amendment or the Fourteenth Amendments or our civil rights statutes and puts a National Guardsman in front of a door to an elementary school to prevent little black kids from going to school with little white kids, that's not a federalism issue. It's a constitutional issue unrelated to the Tenth Amendment, actually, because the states adopted the Fifth Amendment, and the states adopted the Fourteenth Amendment, and the states are obliged to comply with them, and we have federal civil rights statutes. So the president, nobody would argue that the president doesn't have executive power to enforce the Constitution and federal statutes against the governor, just as Dwight Eisenhower federalized the National Guard and opened up that school, despite Governor Faubus. If the governor of Kansas today decided that all to close all wheat farms just within the state, to close all wheat farms within the state, or prevent all wheat grown within the state from being exported to other states for any reason, including a virus. That's unconstitutional. According to the Supreme Court, that's unconstitutional. Because even intrastate commerce within the state can be considered affecting interstate commerce, especially if a governor were to withhold all the wheat. If a governor in New York or a governor in California or a governor in Connecticut or a governor in New Jersey or a governor in Illinois closes down industries that have an interstate presence and then claim the president of the United States doesn't have any authority to open them because of federalism in the Tenth Amendment, they're utterly wrong. Now, we may not all agree with this, but that's what the Constitution provides. And that's what the Supreme Court provided in a number of decisions. 
They even extended it, as I've said, for the last two days. That the commerce doesn't even have to be explicitly interstate. If it's within the state, intrastate, withholding it from going interstate affects interstate commerce. It's the New Deal. That's FDR. That's the Roosevelt Court. But even before we get to that, interstate commerce is interstate commerce. That's an exclusive power that was granted to the federal government by the states that ratified the Constitution to promote interstate commerce. It has nothing to do with federalism. It has nothing to do with state police powers. It has to do with the supremacy of the federal government when it comes to the promotion of interstate commerce. Now, federalism, which, as I said, really has nothing to do with this, to Democrats, to the governors, to the media, and some so-called conservatives, seems to mean a one-way street. That is, governors have absolute power to shut down their economies, regardless of the impact on interstate commerce and the rest of the country. And the federal government must bail them out with trillions and trillions of dollars. And must bail out the state budgets, too. Now, that's not federalism, ladies and gentlemen. True federalism, if they really believe in federalism, would require states that make these decisions to live with the consequences of those decisions. In other words, no expectation, no demands for ventilators, for beds, certainly no money for the businesses that they close, that the federal government has no role in it. The federal government's not required to bail out a governor's decision. Or sadly, the people who are unemployed as a result, that's not the federal government's responsibility if they really believe in federalism. You know who practiced federalism in 1918 during that massive epidemic? Woodrow Wilson. He didn't give a crap what was going on in the States. He was busy with World War I and its conclusion. He provided almost no federal help to the States, and you had tens of millions of people who died. Tell me, do the New York Times and the Washington Post, do the crackpots who pass as journalists on MSNBC and NBC, on CBS and ABC and CNN, do they believe in that? That's true federalism. But what's going on here is the governors want all the power and none of the responsibility. All the power and none of the responsibility. That's not federalism either. So for several days, this debate that's been raging about federalism has been on the wrong subject. The subject under the Constitution is interstate commerce, not federalism. The Tenth Amendment has nothing to do with this. Nothing. And neither does federalism. And of course the President has the United States, and he can do it through the Department of Justice and so forth, has the power to enforce this part of the Constitution, as he has the power to enforce and uphold other parts of the Constitution. A governor is not free 
to close industries and businesses that have an effect on interstate commerce and then say the president can't butt in when it's the president who's trying to uphold the federal constitution against the actions of a governor. So the president of the United States does have this cudgel that he can hold over these states that seem to quite enjoy Governors that are all powerful, that are forcing people to do things they wouldn't normally do, even though it's called mitigation, in many cases it's not mitigation. They enjoy this power, and then they want the rest of the country to subsidize them, even though we don't get to vote them out of office. That's not federalism. And what we're talking about here is commerce, interstate commerce. And of course, the federal government has a big role. And of course, the executive branch, which executes, has a very big role, too. I'll be right back. Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, no rational argument, none, can be made that what the various governors have been doing or have done uh, does not affect interstate commerce. I mean, there's 22 million people in the last four weeks who've applied for unemployment insurance. And by the way, that doesn't mean there's 22 million unemployed. That's the minimum level. There's some people unemployed who don't apply for unemployment insurance or some people who've been unemployed and now won't be able to find jobs, and are stuck. So it's not just the people in the last four weeks who've lost jobs. It's people before that who were looking for jobs who aren't going to be able to find something now. So 22 million is the minimum. I notice we're not getting the number of businesses that are filing for bankruptcy or the number of businesses that are just closing, shuttered. It has to be catastrophic particularly in the retail area. has to be catastrophic in the retail area. The way retail shopping is going on, even before this virus, it wasn't, wasn't that strong. So you have 22 million people now who've applied for unemployment insurance in the last month. Lord knows how many businesses have shuttered. The health consequences across the nation as a result of economic decisions, apart from the virus. 
that we've gone over at some length, so I won't repeat it all. The idea that this is an, an interstate issue would be absurd. Would be absolutely absurd. So I would challenge National Review, the Washington Examiner, other conservatives, some of these professors that were on TV, former federal prosecutors, defense lawyers. Next time you write something, next time you appear on TV or radio, straighten out what you said. Because it's incredibly misleading. We don't want a president to be a monarch. But if a president is defending the federal constitution, he's not a monarch. These governors are the monarchs. That's number one. Number two, opening an economy, opening an economy is to create the status quo. What was the status quo? It's to give people their lives back, tens of millions of them, to give them their liberty back, to give them their property back. And we spent a lot of time on what property means yesterday. It means more than material uh, property, even though that's crucially important. You can see the little tyrannical acts, and they're growing. There's one town that has decided that if you want to go to the grocery store, what they're considering is you can only go on certain days based on the first letter of your last name. I mean, tyrants are ingenious with their various ways of controlling you. And of course, they're doing it for the people at all times. They're doing it for the people. Now, I've been calling for the loosening of the economy for a very long time. I'm glad we have a chorus now that supports this. The president has been calling for it for a very long time. And today, he's making tremendous strides in that direction. And it is he who is pushing it in the administration. And they've come up with a brilliant plan. And it's a plan that provides guidance. He wants to work with the governors. He says the governors have the final say. But I really want the president to know that he has more power than his critics have said. Whether they have law degrees, whether they are tenured professors, whether they sit on their butts and type away on their computers, and so forth and so on. It's a power that was granted to him by the framers of the Constitution. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home. On demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can too with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Going gets tough. A tough get. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. All right. As I, as you know, you Levinites out there have been pushing on this economic issue for a very, very long time, questioning much of the modeling and the data. And we've been right here. Not because I've invented all these ideas, but because you see what's out there, you digest it, You push it through your cranium, and you draw certain conclusions. Uh, The President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States have done a fabulous job. They've been following the science as it's been provided to them. But the President's been itching to open up this economy. The President has been driving this. We have some governors who are going to be a problem. I'm convinced of this. But I just wanted to point out some of this, you might remember, I'll be on Hannity tonight, come to think of it. I'll be on Hannity tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And among other things, I'm going to make it clear to the nation, to the president, and to his detractors that they've been barking up the wrong tree, I'll put it politely, and doing other things up the wrong tree with their arguments about federalism when federalism is not the issue. And in fact, the president has significant power. Whether we like it or not, the president has significant power to force open industries in this economy and put people back to work where we get tyrants, in some cases as governors and mayors, who just enjoy their power. So this was a couple weeks ago on Hannity when very few of us were talking about opening up the economy. The president had... But you might recall that he was under attack. And then we had another 30-day extension of mitigation. And uh, I just wanted to point out and keep the pressure on across the nation on getting this economy open. Cut four, go. You cannot deficit spend your way into prosperity. If you could, Venezuela would be the richest nation on the face of the earth. And the media and the Democrats and some of his advisors, I fear, are boxing the president in. The president, a few weeks ago, I thought had a very good idea. Let's look if there's areas of the economy we can open up. And I'm going to tell him, I think there is. You need to ask these businesses if they can adjust to this virus. I'll give you a perfect example. We have food. We have heat. We have clean water. Who do you think is giving that to us? Other citizens. Electricity. Gasoline for our cars. We have truckers, we have a mail service, we have UPS, FedEx, grocery stores, fast food drive throughs all open, all functioning. We get soap and diapers and toilet paper, prescription drugs. 7-Elevens are open. We have doctors, nurses, cops, firefighters, more going into these, these uh, hot zones uh, despite the fact uh, that they're exposed. I'm not saying drop all the conditions. I'm saying let's get a little smarter about this. We don't ask these businesses and industries. And by the way, the president hasn't shut a single one of them. It's the governors and the mayors. We don't ask these businesses, can you adjust to this virus? Are there things you can do? I'll give you a perfect example. I was at my local supermarket the other day. The people are filling those grocery shelves. They're working harder than ever before. They're hiring people. They have the protective gloves. They have the masks on. They are so uh, smart, they, the companies, 
They built these plastic shields at the cashier at the register. I go to the post office, same thing. There are things that people and businesses can do in some of these areas where they adhere to the requirements, where people are safe, but they still work. They still work. So we have parts of the economy that are working, that are more than 10 people. When I go to the supermarket, there may be 50, 60, 70 people there. Parts of the economy that are working and parts of the economy that have been shut down because somebody is deigned it's essential or not essential. Now I'm live. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's very, very important, I think. I also think we have the right to ask the Democrat Party and their ideologues, what is it exactly that you're contributing to this? What have your plans been? What have your ideas been? Shutting down economies at the state level and demanding trillions of dollars at the federal level. That's not how this works. That doesn't get us vaccines, therapies, and it creates a hell of a big problem. February 27th, February 27th, cut one, go. The last people I want playing doctor with me or the American people would be Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. They attacked the president of the United States. Not one negative word for the dictator of China and the way they've mishandled this entire thing. In fact, you got Bloomberg out there praising China. You got Thomas Friedman with 1,200 Pulitzer Prizes and the New York Times praising China. Are they praising China now? There's been no CDC cuts. There have been increases. It's time to get the facts out. Certain individuals have been uh, quarantined by this president. First time in over half a century the U.S. government has done that. The White House Coronavirus Task Force was appointed over a month ago. The president temporarily suspended entry into the U.S. I put this list together, by the way, of foreign nationals who pose a risk of transmitting the coronavirus. Now, what have the Democrats done during this period of time? The Democrat, from January 16th to February 5th, the United States Senate was paralyzed by the House Democrats and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi with this outrageous impeachment trial where the senators had to sit on their hands and shut their mouths, couldn't conduct any business. They couldn't pass a bill to increase funding. They say they want more funding. They couldn't do it. They couldn't hold hearings on the coronavirus. They couldn't do anything because Pelosi and Schumer shut down the United States Congress. They don't want to talk about that, do they? Now, the Democrats, they go to the microphone and they attack not just the president, the professionals, the CDC, the NIH, the H. HHS, they don't know anything. What is their plan? What is the Schumer, Pelosi, Sanders, Biden, Buttigieg, Warren, Klobacher, uh, whatever? What are their plans? Well, they have great plans for containment. Open borders, eliminate ICE, no vetting of foreigners, sanctuary cities, nationalize and destroy the greatest health care system on the face of the earth, destroy our pharmaceutical companies that will come up with the solutions. The solutions won't be in any of Bernie Sanders' favorite communist regimes. They won't come from the Scandinavian countries. They'll come from us. They'll come from capitalism. What do they support? Massive taxes. What is their containment plan? They have no containment plan. What is their vaccination development plan? They have no vaccination development plan. Meanwhile, they attack the president of the United States. The answers won't come from the liberals and the Democrats, which is why they attack. That was February 27th. February 29th at CPAC. Cut to go. They have another plan for the coronavirus. 
trash the president of the United States and everything he does. What is the Democrat plan to deal with the coronavirus? There is no plan. You know what they were doing when the coronavirus broke out? Impeachment trial against our president. And you know what happens when you have an impeachment trial? Those senators who never shut the hell up have to sit in their chairs and shut the hell up. They can't have a hearing. They can't propose budgets. They can't do anything week after week. And you know what? They'd still be having the trial with their witnesses. Oh, we have to have John Bolton and we have to have McGahn and we'd still be having trials. They effectively shut down the United States Congress while this virus was spreading, and then they dared to point to the President of the United States and say, uh, what is he doing? One more from CPAC, February 29, cut three, go. The coronavirus vaccine will not be discovered in Venezuela. It will not be discovered in the Scandinavian countries. It will not be discovered in some backwards third world country. It will be discovered in one of our pharmaceutical labs in a capitalist country. Right. That's where it'll be found. Exactly. Where did this virus come from? China. China. The Democrats used to praise China. Tom Friedman and his 400 Pulitzer Prizes over there at the New York Times. Oh, it's an autocracy, but they know how to get things done. They sure as hell do. They got the best gulag system on the face of the earth. (laughs) They put down our country. I have a challenge to Bernie Sanders and all the other Democrats running. How about a one-hour speech? Will you praise America? Will you praise Americans? Will you praise free enterprise? Will you praise the things that we do in this country? That one-hour speech will never happen. There will never be a one-hour speech like that. The President of the United States is on top of this. The President of the United States really has been incredible. And so the Vice President. They haven't shut down a single business in this country. The governors have. They haven't put a single employed person on the unemployment line. The governors have. And the governors have to be held accountable for it. That's real federalism. We now have the mayor of New York, who is an absolute nut job, Bill DeCamio. He's been all over the map. He's an incompetent buffoon. He's an ideologue. And he was on Fox today and he says he wants over $7 billion in the short term from the federal taxpayer. Over $7 billion. You have Newsom out there in California. He's no damn good either, despite all the positive press he gets. Unless you like a soft fascist, in my humble opinion. He's giving hundreds of millions of dollars to illegal aliens. Because they're people too, you know. Well, why don't they go home? They're people too. And he'll come to the federal government with hat in hand and he'll want to bail out too. These governors, particularly these dark blue state left-wing governors where they essentially have one-party states, 
make these decisions. And it's not just in crisis mode when you have a virus. It's their pensions. It's their immigration decisions. It's their spending decisions. And now we're supposed to bail them out. We're supposed to bail them out. You look at California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, four states, dark blue states. The tax rates are through the roof. The amount of money they raise is enormous. And yet when it comes to a crisis, with the purpose of government, the purpose of government is put to the test, not redistribution of wealth and all the rest of it. They failed. What exactly did Andrew Cuomo do? I really want to understand this. He kept having his daily press conferences, demanding more ventilators, demanding more hospital beds, demanding more doctors and nurses. He had all the power to deal with this before the pandemic and during the pandemic. What happened to his budget? What happened to all the taxes that the good people in New York pay into this state? What about California and Illinois and New Jersey? Same thing. Where'd all the money go? They say they want a new health care plan. Progressivism is on the march. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't about a new health care plan. It is about progressivism on the march. Progressivism isn't about humanity. Progressivism is about centralized power to control humanity. Those are two different things. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home. On demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can too with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Jim Acosta is really not a news person. He is a jackass. I, I don't know how else to put this. He is... He's like the turd in the swimming pool. Can I put it that way, Mr. Producer? So here's Jim Acosta, the turd in the swimming pool, on CNN yesterday, talking to Wolf Blitzer. Now they have to pump him up with uh, hydrogen, not even oxygen, just to get him to sit up. Because Wolf Blitzer's normal position is face on the table. Cut 13, go. The uh, president making it clear if the states, certain states don't do exactly what he wants, he says if we're not happy with what those states are doing, we will take strong uh, action. Wolf, he didn't say if they don't do exactly what they want. Uh, uh, 
But he did say that he could take action. This he did. Yes. Yeah, he did. Well, uh, uh, go ahead. Against those states. And then he added, as Gloria just mentioned, we have the right to do whatever we want. What was your analysis? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing this week uh, with the president's response to the pandemic is that it, it is really highlighting some of his authoritarian impulses. Now, this is amazing. This moron would never say that about Obama, who was one of our most authoritarian presidents. He would never say that the conservative attorneys general in Texas and other states that are challenging DACA, DACA, because it's clearly unconstitutional, violates separation of powers, among other things, was Obama with his authoritarian impulses. He would never say that about Biden or Sanders or any of the other reprobates in the leadership of the Democrat Party are always about authoritarianism. He would never say that about Cuomo. He would never say that about the Republican leftist in, in Maryland, Hogan. You sell without a mask when you're outside, or I shall find you $5,000. Hey, he's a progressive. You will never hear them say that about the totalitarian left. That is about themselves. This president has conducted himself lawfully and constitutionally every step of the way. Every step of the way. Which is why he's never been effectively or successfully challenged. Ultimately. Go ahead. Uh, He went back to this uh, idea that he has total authority that uh, he essentially retreated from yesterday. He he was saying, as you were just uh, mentioning with Gloria He did back off from that, but the fact is, because Acosta is a low IQ moron, maybe he's a high IQ moron, he's a moron, that's all I know. And Wolf Blitzer is in a permanent state of sleep. They know nothing about the Constitution, they know nothing about the Interstate Commerce Clause, nothing. And notice, none of them say that the president's concern when he's talking this way is about those men and women, hardworking men and women, blue collar, white collar, all collar, no collar, who just had their lives destroyed by this economic catastrophe. That's what he's concerned about. That's not what Wolf Blitzer and Jim Acosta are concerned about. These clowns are just trying to make points all the time. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, The doctors, scientists who are today endorsing and helped develop this uh, guidance that the task force under the vice president and ultimately under the president are putting out, They didn't come up with the idea of putting out guidelines today on their own. But for the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States, we wouldn't be getting guidelines today. 
I have a long memory. A pretty good memory for things that matter to me. A pretty bad memory for things that don't matter to me. <clears throat> Little things like, well, I won't get into it. It was only a few days ago, ladies and gentlemen, maybe it was yesterday, that we were being told that we really can't open the economy till we have this virus defeated, whatever that means. Some governors, like the genius in Ohio, was saying, until we have a, 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 a vaccine, we can't open up Ohio. Now, that is absurd. Um, but we had our national doctors and scientists putting this off for some time, maybe June, maybe July. I've seen this change today. It's thanks to the president and the vice president. They clearly were pressing to open this economy. The president of the United States was before everybody. Any column writer, any economist, any broadcaster, he was the first to say we have to open up this economy. And you can see on his face the stress from carrying this on his shoulders. I can see over the last month, I'm just being honest, that he's developing bags under his eyes. Look, I have my bags are bags under my eyes, but you can see the stress. You can see he's not sleeping. You can see he's working as hard as possible. I see the same thing with Mike Pence. Mike Pence looks tired to me. That doesn't mean he's not sharp and wise. He just looks tired to me. These men are working very, very hard and trying to do the right thing. And rather than just shut down the country for several more months until we wring this out completely, they're not going to allow it. And so they're coming up with something which remarkably was written about five weeks ago by Dr. David Katz of Yale. Who talked about, yes, mitigation, focus on the populations at risk, but slowly but surely open up the rest of the economy. He wrote that on March 20th. On March 17th, Dr. Ioannidis of Stanford. He wrote that the state is not correct. It can't be correct. We're not going to have as many deaths as they're forecasting. He wrote that almost six weeks ago. And that we must... Focus on those who are vulnerable and not have this blanket approach economy-wide. It's going to have adverse consequences. Both men, different backgrounds, same area of expertise, different coasts of the country, cats and Ionides, have been saying this for a long time. Now, even though the task force has not included these two gentlemen. I think they've had an influence. So what's being proposed tonight, mostly, is excellent. By the president, the vice president, and their task force. And they're talking about, essentially, the Ionides and Katz approach. Now that the beginnings of this thing are over, now that we have more data, let's use it smartly. Enough with the platitudes from the governors of New York and New Jersey and California and Illinois. 
If one person dies, it's one person too many. Then you better shut down your roads because people are dying every day on your roads. And you better get tough on law enforcement because people are being killed every day in your, in your states. And you better cut out all fried foods, all fat, because the number one killer in this country is heart disease. But we don't live that way. The president knows that. Now, for most people, not us, but for so many of the media, they don't talk about the, the, the human effect of these shutdowns. Have you noticed how few network and cable television cameras have gone into communities and showed you what some of these streets look like? I'm not talking about in Manhattan or in Washington, D.C. I'm talking about these neighborhood stores where I grew up. Right outside of Philadelphia, born in Philadelphia. We would go into northeast Philadelphia. They had shops and stores among the row houses. Still do. Barber shops, ice cream stores, delis, you name it. Nail stores, salons. They're all shut down for the most part. These are the little guys and the little ladies who make this place work. One neighborhood after another, one community after another, all these diners and these restaurants closed. It gets almost no attention from Jim Acosta. It gets almost no attention from Don Lemon. It gets almost no attention from Andre Mitchell. And so they're reporting from their basements. 90% of it is a Trump, Trump, attack, Trump, Trump, Trump. And they act like they really don't want the economy opened. And as I've said repeatedly, for weeks, eventually when the economy starts to open, you're going to see perhaps a rise in some of the hospitalization and death rates. And they will seize that to attack the president. We've talked about this at some length. Because as my buddy Larry O'Connor points out, these are not reporters who report about health or medicine or economics. These are political reporters. By the way, how many hosts give credit to other hosts? Because I do it all the time because they deserve it. It's a good man, good friend. He's a host in Washington and in L.A. Anyway, you don't see any, any concern about that. Wolf Blitzer doesn't cover any of this. CNN doesn't cover any of this. They haven't taken their cameras on a Saturday or Sunday, done some kind of a documentary for an hour, gone into a community? Tell me, tell me, what has Governor Cuomo's shutdown done for Rochester, New York? Tell me, what has Governor Newsom's shutdown done for Fresno, California? They're all myopic. Big city myopic. Of course the big cities matter, but there's a big country out there. The big cities, look, I live outside a big city, 40 miles, but we live outside a big city. We don't grow food in the big cities to feed the country. That happens somewhere else. We don't raise livestock livestock to feed the country. That happens somewhere else. And I could go on and on and on. So you don't see these news organizations... Again, I know I'm repeating myself. I know we've been talking about this for weeks, but it needs to be underscored, especially now. The pressure now has to be on the governors. 
So what I'm going to do this Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin, I'm going to bring in two of the, the top geniuses who I've talked about repeatedly, Dr. David Katz and Dr. John Ioannidis, who've really gotten this right from the beginning. And talk to them. How did you get it right? Why did you get it right? And discuss what they think economically should take place. And then I think what we'll find is it's very close to what the president wants to do, but unfortunately not to what some of these governors want to do. So we need to put the pressure on. And I'm, I've been using my radio program. I've been using Levin TV. I've been using my Sunday show. I mean, how many weeks ago was it that I had Newt Gingrich and Steve Moron? Do you remember, Mr. Producer? Was it three weeks ago? A month ago? Whatever it was. To press the case. To press the case. But what's going on here is very dangerous. Not just in the here and now, but in the future. We have lost liberties that we must seize back. We've lost them to mayors and city councils. We've lost them to county commissioners. We've lost them to uh, governors and to state legislatures. And we need to get our liberty back. We cannot let them use this as an opportunity to fundamentally transform this country. They must not be able to continue, continue to exercise, in some cases, tyrannical power. Where they can just literally take your livelihood away. They don't give a damn who you are. They just take it away. Take the food off your table. Take the money out of your pension because you have to spend it. You've heard this all day long, I'm sure. I've seen it online. Governor Phil Murphy of uh, New Jersey was interviewed. uh, I don't see it because I'm on the air by, by Carlson, Tucker Carlson. And uh, he's a real leftist, this guy. I think he's another Goldman Sachs guy. That's kind of what they elect in New Jersey. Now and then they'll elect a rhino, but here he is last night. Cut five, go. By what authority did you nullify the Bill of Rights in issuing this order? How do you have the power to do that? That's above my pay grade, Tucker. So I wasn't uh, I wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when we did this. We went to all. First of all, we looked at the data well, and tell. the science, and it says pe- people have to stay away from each other. Uh, that's the best thing we could do to break the back of the curve of this virus that leads to lower hospitalizations and ultimately fatalities. And, and not- mm-hmm. So much of what these governors have done have nothing to do with that. So much of what they've done have nothing to do with that. But now that they, they have new information, what are they going to do about it? And as I said in the first hour, and I've got to believe I'm the only one to have ever said this, the president has more power than people think. Because this is not a federalism issue. It's nothing to do with the Tenth Amendment. This is an interstate commerce issue. When you have 22 million people who've applied for unemployment in just four weeks, which means there's far more who are unemployed and far more who are going to be long-term unemployed, people who might have been unemployed, but now they're not going to find jobs at all because there aren't many jobs to be had. Or when you have small business people, large and medium too, but 
My focus is on small, my neighborhoods, and so are my friends. They are set back in ways they'll never recover. And they're trying to hold on. I told you about two of our closest friends who have a restaurant. But they've had to shut down for weeks. But these two are real Americans. And they are real patriots. And they don't give up. And I got a text from one of them. Who said, well, Mark, we're going to be doing uh, deliveries and we're going to be doing uh, point of sales, you know, at the curbside. And I said, you're amazing. And they are amazing. There's millions of men and women in this country just like it. You know what we call them? We call them Americans. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. There's a shutdown backlash coming anyway, ladies and gentlemen. You're starting to see it throughout the country. You've seen it in uh, Michigan. You've seen it in Ohio. You've seen it in uh, Oregon. And you're going to see it elsewhere. Because after a while, people don't put up with this. Not Americans. Does anyone believe Joe Biden could actually have done anything effective with a, with a virus like this? That he could make any independent decisions? Because that's important. That's what a president has to do. Take in all the information and make a decision. Here he is on the morning schmo. So Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, with a combined IQ of negative 112, broadcasting from their mini mansion in Jupiter, Florida, so they can avoid taxes, I guess. Uh, men of the people, women of the people, I guess. They have Joe Biden on their show. Cut seven, go. We should not send you back to work till it's safe to send you back to work. This is a false choice. Who, who, who has said send people back to work if it's not safe to work? Is there one person who has said that? Is there one business or company that would even do that to themselves? It's a false choice, so why do you even bring it up, you idiot? And I say that with all due respect. Go ahead. The way you revive the economy is you defeat the disease. You defeat the disease. Now, look, I, I'm all in favor of defeating the disease. 
I think we all want to defeat the disease. But we haven't defeated a lot of diseases and people need to work. They need to eat. They need to have money to go to the doctor. Doctors need to have money to be doctors. So to say you want to defeat the disease, that means nothing. Everybody wants to defeat the disease. Go ahead. And we have to get we, we have to get a number of new cases down where they are significantly down from where they are now. Social distance is going to have to continue. All right. All right. So uh, has he said anything unique here? We have to get the number of new cases down where they're significantly down from where they are now. OK. Social distancing will have to continue. Oh, you don't say. You know, Mr. Producer, in many ways, I was practicing social distancing long before this virus. And I was especially practicing, as I said before, socialist distancing. Anyway, go ahead. To implement this, def- this Defense Production Act as a supply commander. Get them out there gathering what all the What the hell staff- is he talking about? The Defense Production Act passed in 1950, the Stafford Act, was passed in order to uh, be able to deal with the Korean War, to marshal our, uh, our factories and so forth, to rebuild again our military, which after World War II was was cut substantially. The Defense Production Act isn't just there so some leftists can start nationalizing our industries. And exactly what is he talking about? What industries are we supposed to nationalize now? You idiot. I say that with all due respect. Go ahead. We have to have widespread testing available, Willie. Wow. Did you just think of that? And he's known it for the last four months. Why didn't he tell anybody? He didn't tell He was vice president. He was in charge of, you know, corruption in Ukraine, corruption in China, corruption with his family. Go ahead. Four months. We have to ensure the hospitals are ready for a flare-up. Wow, we, we have to ensure hospitals are ready for a flare-up. You would think this guy was never a senator or this guy was never vice president of the United States. We have to make sure hospitals are ready for a flare-up. Out of one side of his big mouth, he talks about the federal role. On the other side of his big mouth, he talks about federalism. Well, who's in charge of the hospitals in the states? I believe it's the states. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin doesn't just read the news, he makes the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. During such a turbulent period, <coughs> excuse me, it's critical to pay attention to your financial health. What can you do today to guarantee a healthy financial future? If you're a homeowner, the solution may be as simple as a mortgage refinance. And I know just the people to help, American Financing. Their mortgage consultants will customize a loan to meet your needs. Maybe it's a shorter term, a lower rate, or accessing cash. And they can do all that and a lot more. It's no pressure. The experience is, is actually quite pleasant. No obligation, no upfront or hidden fees either. 
These are good people, family-owned, A-plus rating with a better business bureau. They want to do the right thing, and they want to help you. And they've been helping people just like you for 20 years. So give them a call today for a free mortgage review. Give them a try. See if you can save up to $1,000 a month without resetting your loan term. Call 888-900-1828, 888-900-1828, or apply online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, we have what I consider some predictable arguments. I think these things out before they happen, but let's hear them. Rich, New Orleans, Louisiana, XM Satellite, go! Hey, uh, how's it going? I've been listening to you for uh, years, every day, and I appreciate you Thank taking you. my call. Thank you. Go right ahead, sir. Thanks. So just a, a question for you, and then I wanted to make a comment about the uh, the models that we've been talking about. Uh, yep. question about the Commerce Clause was it seems like it's uh, up to Congress to regulate the commerce between states. Is that true? And if so... Yes, it says, it talks about Congress regulate, Congress regulating interstate commerce. Now, what's the job of the executive branch? To make laws. No, no, the executive branch uh, uh, is to enforce the yeah. Constitution and enforce laws. The interstate commerce laws, if the states interfere with interstate commerce, the executive branch, whether it's the Department of Justice or so forth, that's the enforcement wing of the government. President's not making anything. He's not regulating anything. The president of the United States is the head of the executive branch. Governors, can, I'll, I'll give you an example. The Supreme Court has said so. The Supreme Court says that the federal government has the power to regulate, to regulate. The stimulation, quoting from a 1942 opinion, the stimulation of commerce is a use of the regulatory function quite as definitely as prohibitions or restrictions thereon. The Interstate Commerce Clause is the status quo. The Constitution wants interstate commerce. They want, the founders wanted commerce because there was a problem during the Articles of Confederation. It can be regulated, but not by states. It can be regulated by Congress. If states seek to regulate interstate commerce, then a president has the power to authorize his Department of Justice, or however he wishes to do it, to take them on and to challenge it and to fight it. Okay? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, Congress can't enforce congressional law. They never do, or regulations. But we're not even talking about a regulation here. We're not talking about regulating interstate commerce. They specifically say Congress, meaning only, exclusively, Congress can regulate interstate commerce, not the states. Certainly not just a governor, a potentate of a state. So if a potentate or a governor of a state seeks to regulate interstate commerce by the activities they're, they're undertaking within their state, the president has every right and every power to fight it. Right. All right. May otherwise, I, otherwise uh, uh, so if only Congress has that power and a state does it, well, of course a president can fight it. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, yeah. So the, I, I know you've talked a lot about the models and, and uh, how, how much we really can't trust what we've been being told. And you know, one thing about models is if a model is simple like 2 plus 2, then the answer is 4. It's one number. But a complicated model like this one where you have – a lot of variables, maybe dozens or hundreds, and each one of those variables has dozens or hundreds of, of possibilities. When they run these models, the answers they get are like in the thousands. 
So when they're telling us one number that they're modeling that we're going to get this many cases or this many deaths, the fact that they've just given us the one number is is all you need to know that, that we can't Look, they, 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 the, the, these These doctors, in my opinion, with good intentions, should never have thrown out these big numbers because they had no idea whether they were accurate or not. Turns out they were terribly inaccurate, and there were other professionals in, those, in their fields who said that's not right. They don't have the right data. They looked at the underlying studies, and they were right, and Fauci and Burks were wrong. And so uh, if you're going to follow the science, then these scientists need to be very careful about what they're telling everybody. I think we can admit that. All right, my friend, excellent call. Let's go to Dick, Olympia, Washington State, Sirius Satellite. Go. Hey, Mark. This is Nick in Olympia. I meant Nick. I it says think... Dick here. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm well, sir. Thank you. Good to speak to you. Mm-hmm. So I still, I still think your interpretation of uh, the Commerce Clause is incorrect. It's not my interpretation. Yeah, this has been going on for 80 years. Well, my goodness. They've, they've misused this since day one. Uh, but that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. A state does not have the power to interfere with interstate commerce. Only Congress does. Only, right. Listen to me. Only Congress can regulate interstate commerce. So if a governor steps in and says, you know, we're not doing any business. If a governor steps in, as I said, a radical example, but to make it clear, or an extreme example, uh, I'm not shipping in. We're not allowing any wheat to be shipped out of the, uh, out of the state. Uh, it's not a matter of regulating interstate commerce at that point. It's a matter of the governor regulating by fiat the effects on interstate commerce. And, of course, the president of the United States – look, the president of the United States has the right to enforce the federal constitution and federal statutes. Go ahead. What's your argument against it? I want to hear it. My argument is that we're we're dealing with an unprecedented situation. I I don't care if it's unprecedented or not. What does that have to do with that? You know, a lot of situations are unprecedented. But anyway, go ahead. We need Congress to pass a law with some guidance on how to deal with this. No, we don't. The Constitution, I don't need Congress to pass anything. We're not regulating anything. Congress isn't regulating interstate commerce in this regard. You have governors who are effecting interstate commerce with their decisions. And if it reaches a point where it really is a hindrance to the nation, the president has the power to enforce the Commerce Clause, to enforce it. He's not regulating anything. He's putting it back to status quo, like he has the power to enforce and defend the rest of the parts of the Constitution. Well, the the, the Commerce Clause merely means that the federal government has the authority to make regular to regulate is to make- no, no, no. Let's stop playing word games. I know the history of this. You haven't read Madison's notes. They didn't sit there. They have the right to make regular. That's not what took place. They had a horrible experience under the uh, Articles of Confederation, where states were really practicing federalism. And I'm not against federalism, but they really did. And because of the, the weakness of the central government, and I'm not talking about socialism and Marxism, they needed the, the financial structure of the country was collapsing, Trade was collapsing. Meanwhile, they were being threatened uh, by France and Great Britain, economically and otherwise. And they said, we need to have a, a viable economic system. We're a country. That's why the Commerce Clause was passed. We know the entire history behind the Commerce Clause. It wasn't to make regular, irregular, to make regular. 
what they, they said is that the states cannot, cannot regulate interstate commerce. Now, the Supreme Court's even gone further, and I don't agree with this, that the states cannot simply regulate commerce within their own boundaries, and the left loves it. This is how you got the New Deal. This is how the EPA tells you what kind of paint you can put on your house and so forth and so on. It created the massive regulatory state, one of the uh, decisions, 9-0 to zero in the Wickard versus Filburn case, which I talked to you about last night and the night before, where they said wheat grown solely on a farm and consumed solely on a farm affects interstate commerce, and therefore the federal government, Congress, can regulate it. What we're talking about here <clears throat> is a string of Supreme Court decisions The plain language of the Constitution, clearly a governor does not have the power on their own, should the president challenge them, to effect interstate commerce. We're not talking about passing a regulation. We're talking about upholding the status quo, that is, interstate commerce. So states, when the Constitution states that only Congress can regulate interstate commerce, the converse of that is states cannot regulate interstate commerce. And if they try to, by their actions or by their laws, and we're not even talking about states, we're talking about governors, excuse me, then of course the president can order his Justice Department, whatever, to challenge it. President is not without power here. Well, Mark, um, respectfully, there is no current interruption in interstate commerce. Well, what's the $2.2 trillion for Say that again, I, I couldn't hear you because you were talking over me. What's the $2.2 trillion for? Oh, a bunch of nonsense. I oppose No, no, that. pal, pal, stay focused. No platitudes. What's the $2.2 trillion for? To help, I mean, supposedly, to help workers who have been laid off and... And businesses that were shut down by governors. Right. If this is an interstate commerce, if this doesn't affect interstate commerce, what's been taking place here, there is no interstate commerce. Because clearly it affects interstate commerce in ways we've never seen before. Like you said at the opening, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like what? This is different, you say. It's a virus. And now you tell me, well, what does that have to do with anything? I think you're, you're misconstruing what I was trying to get at. The whole country heard you. I've misstated a damn thing. Mark, you've got to let me finish a thought. I know it's your... Sir, research. I've been with you six or seven minutes. I'm trying to educate you. I'm going to give you a minute to explain to the American people your point. Go ahead. There is no disruption to interstate commerce right now. If somebody chooses to transact across state lines, they are still free to do so. The only limitations that are out there are the ones that we are putting on ourselves as a people because we're just blindly going along with whatever the state government All right, I thought you were an idiot. Boy, did I waste time with you. We'll be right back. I don't know why this is so complicated, and I think for most people it's not. You'll get some kooks. Well, you you can still transact business across uh, state lines. You can still do that. Well, tell people who are who are designated non-essential, or tell people of businesses that are designated non-essential that that's the case. 
And yet, under this very broad definition of interstate commerce that was uh, concocted by the Supreme Court and imposed on the nation, um, particularly uh, involving uh, uh, their ability to regulate things that take place in a state, I can see almost no defense to a presidential challenge. I'm not even encouraging this stuff. I'm just explaining the state of play. Um, But that's not true. Uh, People who are deemed non-essential are running quote-unquote non-essential businesses. Well, they can't do business unless they can do it on the Internet, and everybody just can't do business on the Internet. Who's really getting whacked here are the retail businesses. Obviously not the Internet businesses. And if you're shut down under penalty of God knows what, uh, then you can't do business. And under the theories that the Supreme Court has upheld for over 80 years, uh, that affects interstate commerce. It's not a matter of the president regulating interstate commerce. The problem here is states are effecting and thereby uh, undermining Congress's exclusive authority to regulate interstate commerce. That's the point. It would be litigated, and I think the president would win. He'd have a very strong argument. Very strong argument. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Imagine, rather than the 1619 Marxist New York Times project in our schools, if they had Hillsdale College's online courses as required teaching. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. And many of you now are homeschooling your children. In effect, right? Well, this will help you a lot. Register now to take this free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. That's levinforhillsdale.com. All right, let's take some more calls. Any more challengers? Uh, no, I don't see any. Greg, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Sirius Satellite. Greg, go. Hey, Mark. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank you. I said thanks for doing what you do. No, I said thank you. Okay. Uh I was thinking it's too bad they didn't do this from the start. Uh, possibly taking the non-essential business and letting them work half force, let them work for the 15 days, do a ro- rotate after those 15 days, bring the other set in, and do that until uh, you basically have things more secured. Here, I have a different attitude about this. Why don't we hear from the businesses all over the country that have ideas on how they can secure their workplace And that is walk and chew gum at the same time, as I keep saying. I think they'd have a lot of ideas on how they can do it. Just go into your local grocery store or go into Costco or go through the drive-thru at the fast food. Talk to the people who deliver packages, FedEx, UPS, the post office, on and on and on. There are 
many, many examples of businesses, small and large, that can do this. Ask the local bagel shop if they're open. I have. I go. <clears throat> it's the safest place in the world. Uh, there's a lot of things that can be done and a lot of things these small businesses can do. I don't deign to have all the ideas. The president doesn't either. They're just giving very, very broad guidelines and saying to the governors, you really need to apply these so people can get their incomes back. They can put food on their table. They can take care of their children and pay their bills. So the federal government doesn't go absolutely broke, more broke than it already is. And we have some resistors out there, you know, resistance. And uh, in my view, uh, the president is not without power. If it reaches a point, if it reaches a point, we have governors that are just out of control with their power. Thank you for your call, Greg. I appreciate it. Jerry, Farmington, New Mexico, the great K-E-N-N. Go. Hey, good afternoon, sir. Um, yes, sir. I, I'm going to give the call screener the respect and just uh, talk to you what I talked to him about. And it is, all right, yeah. all right. You called here. You told him what you want to talk about. If we don't do a, have a call screener, we'll talk about 12 different issues every minute. So stay focused and go ahead. I love them. I love them. Um, but, you know, you really motiv- motivated me this afternoon when you were talking about President Trump and how he wants to open up the economy and how tired he looks. You know, the poor guy, I mean, he's got to be just worn out, you know. And another thing is... Can you, can you imagine Joe Biden in that job? I feel sorry for poor Uncle Joe. I feel sorry for him, but I feel sorry for us if he becomes president. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I think uh, I, I know this is going to separate me from the president. I'm not following and, and it, Oh, I'm still in the base. I'm voting Trump. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. I think I understand most of it. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, See, this is uh, what the sort of mocking and so forth that caught my attention uh, earlier today that caused me to really think about this. Bloomberg, President Trump said Monday he had the ultimate authority to dictate to states how to reopen their economies and that he'd craft his plans with advice from a council of top businesses, medical and political leaders. By Wednesday, both claims fell apart. He retreated from ordering governors to reopen after constitutional scholars and even some conservative Republicans said it was beyond his power. And he backed away from an economic council, announcing he'd hold a marathon series of calls with business leaders instead. 
and then they go for the president, it's becoming a pattern. Now, see, this is what's troubling to me. This clown, Justin Sink, at Bloomberg, he doesn't have to make any decisions. What happens is this. I get a lot of information here. A lot of information. And sometimes I rely on the source and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I rely on a source that happens to be wrong. So I try to be as careful as I can. The President of the United States has been told to rely on his scientists. Well, who are his scientists? They're not really scientists. Rely on his public health care advisors. Well, he inherited them, most of them. So you have Fauci. You have Burks. You have this guy that runs the CDC and a couple of others. And they're part of the task force. They're more than part of the task force. They're relied on by the task force. That's who he has. And they have been wildly wrong in their various modeling with various data. When the president has one of these press conferences, he's relying on what they're telling him. It's not the president who's analyzing the models and the data. It's the experts who are providing it to him. And so if they say there could have been 1.5 to 2.2 million dead, he states that. If they say now we're talking about 100 to 240,000, he relies on it. He's following the science, quote-unquote. He states it. When he says he wants to open up businesses a month ago and open up the economy, and they say we need another 30 days, he embraces it, and he says it. On the constitutional level, if you had asked me a few days ago whether the president has any power to order governors to open up their economy, I would have said absolutely not. Federalism. But then I got to thinking. This has nothing to do with federalism. It has to do with commerce. Interstate commerce. And how do I know it? Well, the evidence is, is overwhelming. We just spent $2.2 trillion and they want to spend a hell of a lot more. The governors don't get to exercise plenary power and then send us the bill. And they don't get to exercise plenary power if it interferes or affects interstate commerce, which this clearly does. We have businesses shuttering all over the country, millions of people losing their jobs. It clearly affects the commerce of the country, not just the state commerce, and it clearly affects the federal budget. If this is an interstate commerce, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. And that's just if you look at the Constitution. If you look at Supreme Court precedent, whether it's the NLRB case, 1937, whether it's the Wickard case in 1942, and subsequent cases with a few rare exceptions that unfortunately don't go far enough, the stimulation of commerce, and this has been followed for 80 years almost, the stimulation of commerce is considered a, a federal function. And 
is a use of the regulatory function, I'm quoting the court, quite as definitely as prohibition. So as absurd as that is, the court ruled that a regulatory function is a non-regulatory function. That commerce, interstate commerce, can be intrastate commerce. You can thank FDR and the New Deal and the left for this, and this is how the left gets half or 90% really of what it wants. By steamrolling, steamrolling over the states. But this is different. We actually have governors by fiat. It's not even state law, by fiat. Forcing people to wear things, forcing people to live certain ways, forcing businesses out of business. And the toll is severe. And it's national. And it crosses state lines. And the governors know it, which is why they go hat in hand and beg the federal taxpayer. That is, not just people from their own states, but states all over the, all over the country, to bail them out. They say they need ventilators. They say it's a national issue. They say they need beds. They say it's a national issue. Just take their own comments. So when we get meatheads like Justin Sink taking shots at the president of Bloomberg... It's really quite outrageous. Quite outrageous. And so I'll use the podium on Hannity tonight to explain some of this. And you'll see, just as I explained that the fatality numbers are way off, they're way too high, attacked. Just as I explained that there are other illnesses that kill more Americans, these are facts. I'm attacked. Just as I said over a month ago, we need to begin considering opening the the economy while still mitigating and protecting people. Six weeks ago, I said it. And it wasn't just because I'm a genius. It's because I was reading what Dr. Ioannidis had to say, what Dr. Katz had to say. And it was obvious, the consequences. You don't need model and data to see what's in front of your face. I'm attacked. And I'm thrown in with other people. I don't even know... What the hell they're saying. For all I know, some of them are repeating what I'm saying. I just don't know. It's irrelevant. I say what I say. Now I'm saying, actually, whether you favor it or not, and yes, the Democrats will take the White House one day. They know about the Interstate Commerce Clause. They know about these Supreme Court decisions. Why do you think Obama's out there now talking about single-payer health care? How is it that the federal government can run state-licensed insurance companies? I don't know. Now they can. How is it that the federal government can determine wages and prices, that is, labor issues, EEOC issues, that are solely within a state or within a state business? Because the, the Supreme Court has bastardized the Constitution. That's why. And maybe a lot of you even support those laws. Well, if you adhere to the, the actual intending text of the Constitution, those laws are unconstitutional. And that's what happened. The Supreme Court was knocking down these, these big New Deal laws that were uh, centralizing decision-making, reaching into the states, reaching into businesses and so forth. And what did the Supreme Court do? Ultimately, it knocked it down. It's a famous case, the Schechter Poultry Corporation versus United States case. And it, the Supreme Court ruled that the National Industrial Discovery Act of 1933 was unconstitutional. 
I mean, you had the Agriculture Department under this this new law, and also there was an agricultural statute as well uh, that that they pushed uh, that the uh, the slaughterhouse markets for the slaughter and local sale. Local sale was all to retail dealers and butchers who in turn sold directly to customers. Neither the slaughtering nor the sales by defendants were transactions in interstate commerce. It's common sense. But they had to overturn it. They had the Carter versus the Carter Coal Company decision in 1936. The Bituminous Coal Conservation Act, passed in 1935, unconstitutional. Why? Because this was coal mined in specific state or states. And so the, the decision was that the federal government didn't have the authority to fix wages and hours and working conditions of the miners in this company. That was 1936 decision. Then in 1937, the court completely reversed itself. In a steel case, the NLRB versus Jones and Lachlan Steel Corporation, of course, they relied on the decision the year before, and the Supreme Court ruled, listen, intrastate activities that have such a close and substantial relation to interstate commerce that their control is essential or appropriate to protect that commerce from, from burdens and obstructions are within Congress's power to regulate. In other words, only Congress can regulate Congress can regulate it, but only Congress. I mean, the states can regulate it too, but if it affects interstate commerce, Congress has the supreme authority. The legal stage was now set for the massive expansion of the Commerce Clause and federal control over the marketplace. So Congress can regulate intrastate activity. And if that intrastate activity affects interstate commerce, I don't even have to go to these decisions. It's clear that what the governors are doing affects interstate commerce. Unless they're just shutting down pizza parlors. But they're not. It's clear. It's clear from Supreme Court precedent and otherwise that Congress can regulate interstate commerce. But states can't. Anyway, this is just something I wanted to, you know, I'm not the final say. I'm not nine members of the Supreme Court. I'm not the President of the United States. This is just an argument that I think is worth making. Now, after I make it here and on Fox, it'll come under attack. I'll come under attack. I don't care. This is the way it works. States do not have plenary power if they're interfering with interstate commerce. If they're interfering with interstate commerce. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Uh, let's see. Uh, let us go to Tom, Falling Waters, West Virginia, listening on the great WMAL. Go. Hey, Mark. This is Tom. Yes, I know. Oh, okay. I just wanted to, wasn't sure if I was on the air. I wanted to talk to you about, I'm a, I'm a delegate here in West Virginia, and our governor uh, is one of, the, one of the governors that shut down the, uh, shut down the economy. And my concern is we're treating this COVID-19 almost like we're, we're going to war. And uh, reading up, uh, Dr. Arnn had, had an article in, in, uh, in Primus, uh, I got it today, but he, he was talking about Churchill's uh, essay they wrote back in 1936 called uh, uh, What's Good's Constitution. And he was talking back then about um, does government exist for the individual or the individuals exist for the government? And he was getting about, at that time, with the economic crisis going on, is he, he warned against the army used about economic crises are only another form of war is what they're trying to, trying to do. And the concern there is when we use that, we, we do that at our peril, that, that we, whenever we, we enter into a war, and especially when we, we try to treat everything as a war, we lose our, our liberty. And I just call on your your thoughts on that, uh, Mark, on uh, on Churchill's views, because I think he he understood our Constitution more than that than any any individual. No, I, I understand why the president calls it a war, because for him it is. In other words, and for us too, in that sense, uh, I mean, everything's come to a stop pretty much, and the entire federal government and all these governors are focused on fighting this. So I understand that. Uh, obviously, it's not a real war in the sense that we're taking up arms. And I do have concerns of the kind that Larry Arn raises, that the suspension of what we thought were our constitutional rights, in some respects, is troubling. And we're going to have to take a look at this as I open the show, and I've opened many shows with this, and get our liberty back. Because I, I, I fear when you hear a gruesome Newsom out there in California and Slow Cuomo in New York... They view this as a real moment in a transition and, and, uh, of the nation that is fundamental in, uh, in the relationship between the individual and government. And these people really do have, this, this progressivism really is a cancer. And so they have intentions, Nancy Pelosi, Schumer, and the rest of them. Look, they wanted to change how we vote. And they want to change how we vote, not because they believe more, people, uh, more citizens should vote. They believe more people should vote. Well, everybody doesn't have a right to vote if they're not citizens, if they can't identify themselves. And they have used this as an opportunity to try and attack our voting system. You have governors like Northam 
where they have a one-vote majority in the state Senate and a five-vote majority in the, in the state Assembly for the first time in, in decades, who've used this opportunity to, to emasculate restrictions uh, that make, uh, make people prove they are who they are if they're going to vote. You know, basically, it's like getting on an airplane. You've got to show who you are. Uh, and that, of course, we now know is racist when it comes to voting, but not in every other respect. So they are viewing this as an opportunity, too many of these governors and too many of these mayors, as a way to exercise powers, I would argue, not even in the case of war, just to exercise powers over the individual where they either don't have authority and they certainly don't have the moral authority to do it. Uh, and I agree. In our case here with our governor, our, our, our legislature is out of session. We ended in March, and so we're, we're, not, we're, we're no longer in session. And the governor had take, used his, uh, his executive power to basically shut down the economy with no, 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 no indication from the, uh, from the legislature at all. And, um, I, and I see it, the problem now with – I think the president has done a fabulous job in, in putting it back on the governors, but I see the governors are now using this authority, and the concern I have is these governors not letting up on that authority. And you can see it with New Jersey, New York. You know, always, already see them. They don't want to come out of this uh, this emergency. They want to they want to extend it, and um, and I, I'm very concerned that we're we're giving up our liberties in in this uh, calling our economic crisis now a a, a war, and uh, and it's it's very troubling. And in, in when I when I talk with my friends in in uh, in West Virginia here. All right, sir. I appreciate your call. You sound like you'd be a terrific delegate, by the way. Quickly, Todd, Green Bay, Wisconsin, the great WTAG country. Excuse me, WTAQ country. Go. Yes, uh, interstate uh, commerce, uh, health, uh, Olympic weight set, uh, health club stuff. You can't get your hands on anything. Everything's in California. Everything's shut down. They can't send it cross state. I mean, what's going on? We can't go to the health club. And that's what, that's what you were getting at, at that caller. There's no... By, by, by the way, I don't even want to go to the health club. But I do feel your pain, sir. Yeah. I do feel your pain. You guys and gals that like to exercise out there, you amaze me. My wife's one of them. All right, sir. We'll be right back. Thank you. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S.
The only show with a warning label, The Liberals. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. One, Brownsville, Texas, XM Satellite. Go. Go ahead, Juan. Oh, hi. This is Juan down in Texas. Yes, sir. South Texas. Hey, Mark. Uh, I might get off a little off topic. Um, I'm calling just because... I saw this coming, this announcement. I, I, I knew they were going to – it's like a scaredy-cat approach to, to reopening the economy. And it's basically I, – I, I knew this was coming, and I can tell it's going to destroy any possibility that I'll ever reopen my restaurant. Now, you're talking about the federal guidelines? Yeah, the federal guidelines just came out. Are, are, tell me. Talk to me. Be specific. We want to know. Okay. To begin with – uh, this this relief package that they uh, that they hit they, they gave us it's not going to be enough money, especially if they're going to want us to. Well, we already know that because it's out. There's no no money left. The Republicans won. I think I th- I heard another three hundred and fifty or two hundred fifty billion, which is my calculations a quarter of a trillion. That'll last about another two months tops. Uh, the Democrats say no, no, no. We want half a bill, half a trillion, maybe a trillion, and. You know, I have all these Christmas tree ornaments we want to put on it and so forth. So the Republicans have moved left, and the Democrats have fallen off the edge of the earth. Yeah, it, it's a band-aid that won't stop the bleeding. No, it, that's right. It, it's not enough money. It's not enough money to sustain us. But do you think these guidelines are too tough? Is that what you're concerned about? You know, my attitude about these guidelines is certainly better than nothing. But wouldn't the best approach to be to ask Juan how he could handle this in his own restaurant? Correct. And, and to me, it seems there, there's a couple things I'm upset about. One is they gave us all these false numbers on how many people were going to die because guess what? They were uncertain about the numbers. But yet when there's solutions or there, there, there might be solutions out there that they don't have all the research for, that they don't want to try because oh, they, all the research isn't in. Well, you know what? Obviously all the research, all the research wasn't in for your numbers either because people aren't dying off the way you, you said they were. So your numbers were off there, and it didn't stop you from closing down the entire economy. Mm-hmm. You know, no, and that's right. Now and now and now, because they don't have enough information, they can't just reopen it. I, it just makes. I, I think all you restaurant owners who are clawing for survival in Texas or any other state ought to get together, tell them what you can do, and tell them you want to open tomorrow, and that here's the uh, the mitigation uh, steps you would put in place. Uh, you don't need guidelines from anybody else. These are the guidelines that you guys would like to put in place and go to Governor Abbott or whomever your governor is, but he'd be more receptive than most. DeSantis would be more receptive than most. DeWine, not so much. This guy Hogan, he's receptive to nothing. And, of course, the Democrats are rarely receptive. But in your state, you have a governor who might be receptive. And I think the restaurant owners ought to get together and get together mighty fast. And you don't have to have every one of them, just a bunch, and say, this is what we're prepared to do, Governor, and I'll let us do it. I agree. And the other thing, too, is if we're dealing with imperfect numbers anyway, uh, the numbers ain't perfect, but they're showing that it's really people with underlying... uh, I agree with you 100%. So they they should be the ones sheltering in place while the rest of us get to work. I agree with you 100%. Because everything is imperfect. (laughs) So... Well, you probably feed 
people, do you ever feed people fried food? They love fried. I love fried. Do you feed it to them? Yes, we do. Well, I guess you're contributing exactly. to heart disease. So I guess they could say you can't give them any more fried food. Yeah, and would they eat I mean, maybe food? people who come in need to have a certain kind of a government pass or a little colored uh, sticker on their, uh, on, their, uh, on their driver's license. Maybe it's pink. Who knows? Blue, red, whatever it is. And they come in, and uh, if they have diabetes, you can't give them dessert. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of maladies out there, uh, if we want to be serious about it. And uh, this seems to be the only one uh, that gets this kind of attention. I do understand its aggressiveness and so forth, but I just think the reaction, uh, particularly at the state level, the president hasn't shut a single company or a single business, but I think the reaction at the state level in many respects has been a big overreaction. Juan, I wish you all the best, sir. I really do. Dave, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Sirius Satellite, go! You're on, Dave. Hi, how you doing, Mark? Great to All right. talk to you. Thank you, sir. Hey, I'm, a, I'm a chiropractor in Virginia Beach, and uh, mm-hmm. I've been studying this issue since day one, and the numbers just have never added up. Uh, I've been saying it since early on. And the, one, two, two things I want to say is, number one, we're not taking anybody off the rolls of healed and recovered. The rest of the rest of the world is averaging about 25, 30%. Varies Germany, 57% recovery rate. We're only showing about 7% recoveries. They're not taking anybody. No, off. I don't. I don't believe. Well, I don't. I don't believe that's correct. I've talked to a few experts about this. There's a fairly significant recovery rate. Now, if you're General argument is the data collection, not just the data analysis, has been very poor. I agree completely, uh, particularly on the fatality rates. Uh, they've been very, very poor. Um, and uh, now uh, they're adding people in there. And they have two or three uh, comorbidities, as they call them. Um, and uh, if they have the coronavirus, I just spoke to one of the experts today who's challenging this. And if they have the coronavirus, that's the default position to say the coronavirus. When really what they should report is this individual had two, three, one underlying uh, condition, and uh, they also had the coronavirus. But that's not the way the reporting's going right now. But they're not listing a significant number of people being resolved, Recovered. cases yeah. resolved. And, and they're not, so they put it on the news, uh, 600,000, 650,000 cases, but they're not saying active cases. The cases only, according to the CDC, this disease runs about 10 days to two weeks and for 98% of the people, right? Mm-hmm. And at, after two weeks, they should be moved to resolve and taken the, off the number. We should be reporting the active cases, not the total identified cases. The other thing is that you're talking about reopening the country. I look at Virginia and we have dozens and dozens of counties that have one, two cases, three cases. One, why don't we put a plan in place that opens up these county by county? And as, they, as we open them up... Well, when you say we put a plan in place, the president and the vice president said that they think states should look at county by county. Florida's going county by county. Uh, so I don't disagree with that either. All right, sir, I appreciate your call. 
some very good ideas and some very important points, too. Uh, smart people in this audience. Annette, Richmond, Virginia, on the Mark Levin app. Go, Annette. Hey, Mark. Yes, so ma'am. Glad- Go right ahead. So glad to talk to you. Uh, we've been a listener forever. Um, Thank you. So um, I'm an SBA person with a lender, and we have been... All right, hold on. Both- so you were, you're in, you're the, like at the SBA desk for a bank, I guess you're saying. Yes. Yeah. All right. And we have been balls to the walls for the past two oh, weeks. Oh, jeez. Yes. Working, working every weekend to um, uh, put the PPP paycheck protection program loans right to, to into the system, and of course now the the bucket is empty. Right. So, um, but my my total concern through the entire time has been how is it that some of these companies are tapping into the paycheck protection program, but yet some of those employees might even be tapping into unemployment paycheck. Well, I, I thought, hold on, the arm on my chair fell here, which I don't like, putting it back in place. All right. Um, I don't pretend to be an expert on this stuff, never have been, but I thought that was okay, No. It almost seems like it's a double double. So tip. what you're saying is a, a a a small business might get a loan, the purpose of which is to keep people employed, and yet some of those people are in unemployment. If that's going on, that's got to be illegal, isn't it? Right. And, and my 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 entire t- thinking through my keying in these loans through SBA is mm-hmm. I'm also thinking these people are, are tapping into unemployment. At the same time. Well, how, I don't. I don't think that's legal. How I is think, that police? Well, if they're not unemployed, they're not. Suppo- well, I don't know how it's policed. I mean, I'm not. As I say, I'm not a green eye shade guy. Uh, it's how is anything policed when the federal government's handing out money? Uh, but obviously, if a person is employed and they're taking unemployment compensation in addition to the, the very generous addition unemployment under the. Uh, PPP or whatever the hell we call it now. That is illegal. Thank you for your call, Annette. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S.
I'll be on Hannity on the Fox News Channel about 40 minutes, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. There's no reason my comments or my appearance should be considered controversial from a constitutional perspective, but I suspect they'll come under attack because people won't like the result. I just call them as I see them. Larry, Los Gatos, California, the great KSFO, and I have to say, I love that area of the country. I actually thought about, or our family did too, buying a place there many, many years ago. Larry, how are you? Doing great. How you doing? Ooh. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Shoot. Hey, uh, I, my biggest concern right now is the, the, all the powers that be, Trump and all, his, all the Democrats and stuff, are talking about bailing out the states. I think that would be a huge mistake. It would be a massive mistake. It would set a horrific precedent. It would enable these spendaholic governors in these dark blue states to try and get us, the federal taxpayer from states who didn't vote for these people in the first place, to pay for their, their pension systems that are in hoc, to pay for their other systems that are, that are in hoc, to pay for their bad decisions and their bad priorities. The people of the states need to vote these bastards out. And if we're going to subsidize them, uh, then there's a disincentive, a terrible disincentive for these people, meaning these governors, to make the right decisions. Yeah, and you had the mayor in L.A. talking about closing all the baseball stadiums, football stadiums until next year. And they need to have an incentive to get these places back up and get tax revenue coming in. Why don't they ask these leagues, is there any way to do this? And if there's not, there's not. But ask them. What the hell does a mayor know about these things? And I, I, I expect these will be the last sort of places to open up. Concert halls, convention centers, uh, you know, uh, uh, stadiums and that sort of thing. Those are the toughest. But why start with the toughest? Why not start with the local grocery store, the local deli, or the, uh, the local uh, whatever? Uh, those are much easier to deal with, and there's a lot of ways uh, that they can mitigate, and these stores can be opened. All right, yeah. my brother. Larry in Los Gatos, California. Thank you very much. Scott, Las Vegas, Nevada. The great K-Don, K-D-W-N. Go. Greetings from Las Vegas, Mr. Levin. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. I wanted your opinion on something. Mm -hmm. They have dumped, what is it, $2.3 trillion into this? And you're just getting started. We're just getting started. Now, the the commercials... (laughs) that the CDC puts out, they're on TV all the time, mm-hmm. they talk about the quote-unquote at-risk people. Right. Which it seems like 95% of us get it. We don't, a lot of us don't even know we have it, and we shake it off. Mm-hmm. So why didn't they just focus on the people at risk? For, you know, what would that have cost us? Uh, $50 billion? This is, this is what Dr. Katz and Dr. Ioannidis and some others have said. Now that we know and we learned relatively quickly the, uh, the populations uh, within our overall population that are most at risk of serious uh, health failures and death, that's where the focus should have been. And that's pretty clear, and that's where it needs to be right now. So right. I agree with you, Las Vegas. Thank you, Mark. Have a great night. All right. God bless you. Kathy. Pratt, Kansas, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? How are you, Kathy? 
Hi, Mark. I love you, and I love America. Thank you. Hey, I, you got one minute. Okay, I'm retired from city government. I want mm-hmm. you to ask the governors and the mayors and the Democrats who want federal bailout to shore up their budgets, what about their reserves? If they don't have appropriate reserves, then shame on them. It's not the responsibility of the rest of the... Of the First of all, these blue states in terms of reserves, I'm sure they shot through that a long time ago. Look at the federal government, Social Security Trust. They don't even exist anymore. They shot through that. These governments are completely out of control when it comes to spending. Sorry, Kathy, got to run. Thank you. We salute all you heroes out there. Thank you, and God bless you, and we're behind you. And I'll see you on Hannity in about 30 minutes, America, on the Fox News channel. And each and every one of you, take care of yourselves. I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.